This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Here in the 24th week of a series we're calling The Story. And we are going through the Bible chronologically. We, we started in January with introduction. In February, we, we went into the book of Genesis. We're going to end in November in the book of Revelation. And our whole goal is to see what God has been up to. What is the Bible all about? What has God been doing? What is the message? And what has God been doing from the beginning of time in the garden up till today and on into eternity? And uh, we're, we're calling his upper story. And, and, and if you've been with us uh, for any length of time through the series, you know it's all about God's plan to bring us back into relationship with him the way he originally intended it, even though we jacked it up. Did anybody here jack it up? I jacked it up. But God made a way. And anybody say amen? amen. Hallelujah. So we know that from the beginning of time, we know that, uh, you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, as we start in Genesis, we know that God wanted relationship with humanity, but humanity had to choose God, right? And we didn't. We chose ourselves. And our, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, and, and as I said, we can blame Adam and Eve all day long, but if they didn't do it, I probably would have been the one to do it. We didn't choose God, we chose ourselves. And so, because of that, there came this separation between them and God. They were cast out of the garden, and all their descendants from there on out were separated from God. And as we said, we've been, we've been going since February and looking at how the entire rest of the Bible up to this point has all been about God providing a way back to the Father. So uh, we've seen different times along the way that it's looked like that plan has gotten off track. But as I've said the last couple weeks in a row, God's plan has never been off track. He has always been right on time. He's never been thrown off schedule. Now, people have gotten off track, but God has never gotten off track. He is, everything is gone according to plan. And we know that finally 2,000 years ago, the Messiah came. God's promise. It was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh, born to the Virgin Mary. And he would go on to pay the price for mankind's sin, right? And make a way back to the Father. So, uh, so two weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas. How many of you enjoyed celebrating Christmas? Guess what? You get to do it again in a couple months. Last week, uh, we started uh, looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Last week, in our reading, he was baptized by John. He was tempted by the enemy. He began ministering to people and preaching about the kingdom of God, which we'll talk about later on. And I'll tell you, last week's reading, chapter 23, was really meant to cover the first year of Jesus' three-year ministry. And so as we move on into chapter 24 this week, chapter 24 is really meant to cover the second year of Jesus' three-year ministry before the cross. So in this, second, in this second year, in chapter 24, as we read it this week, um, you may have noticed that Jesus is beginning to um, rise in popularity. His name is getting out there, and crowds are coming, and they're beginning to gather by the thousands. Jesus is having a hard time getting time by himself because they're following him everywhere that he goes. People just want to get a glimpse of him. They just want to see this guy that everybody's talking about. They, they, they want to see him do a miracle, or maybe they need to receive a miracle. But any way you look at it, people are drawn to Jesus, and he never disappoints. And so, again, it was kind of like last week. Uh, there was so much content in this chapter. I told Sean it's so tough because every page of the story this week could have been a sermon. 
It was just incredible trying to, trying to pull that all together. There was so much content, and I just kind of made a list of what this, this week covered. Um, we started seeing a lot of his uh, teachings and a lot of his parables. Um, we see the teachers of the law are beginning to test Jesus by, by posing hard questions. We see Jesus teaching his followers to pray using the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we see him calm a storm while in the boat with his followers. He casts out the demonic spirits called legion. He, uh, he raises the dead girl to life. He opens blind eyes. It was here that we see John the Baptist, his cousin, is beheaded. Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. And it's really interesting to me that at the end of this chapter, it ends with Jesus making a statement. He says, if you don't eat of my flesh and if you don't drink of my blood, there is no life in you. And the chapter ends by saying that many of his followers left him at that point. I was like, whoo, that's a high point. Yay, great. Uh, again, we're kind of looking at what I was saying last week, kind of how people were taken back by Jesus because, you know, he wasn't at all what they expected. He's preaching the kingdom of God. They're going, we know the kingdom of God here. And he's going, it's here. And they're going, where? Are you going to overthrow the Romans? Are you, you going to free us again? Are you going to, you know, and, and nothing was lining up the way that they had expected. And so Jesus is making comments like this, eat, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And then John the Baptist is calling him the Lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. And people are going, who, who in the world, who is this guy? So anyway, there was so much content to this chapter. And, and I, was just, I was just reminded because we saw so much of his teaching. But we also saw much, so much of the example of the life that Jesus, is, Jesus lived. And I thought, you know, that's really what we got to build our lives on, on the teachings of Jesus and on the example of Jesus. And we know when we, we, we've got to get to the place where we, we know the teachings of Jesus, we, we know the life that he led, the example that he laid out before us. We've got to know it like the back of our hands, and then we've got to have the courage to step into that, to step into that lifestyle, because he called us to be his hands and feet, Right? He, he called us his temple. And so this is the only way that we're going to navigate life successfully and accomplish everything that God has called us to do. So uh, I'm going to give you four points today. And I encourage you, whether you're here in person, you're watching online, uh, if you would, uh, if you want to, you can jump on the YouVersion Bible app and uh, hit, uh, hit more and hit events and you'll find all of our notes listed there and, uh, and you, can follow, uh, you can follow right along. But these are just the points. I just said, Lord, what are you speaking to us this week? What are the takeaways from this week's reading about the teachings and the example of Jesus? So number one, first thing I want to mention, number one, I think this is so relevant for today. When you are in Jesus's boat, there's no need to fear storms. When you're in Jesus' boat, there's no need to fear storms. Now, if you're in another boat, that's a different story, right? How many of you know that we all face storms in life, right? It's inevitable. Storms are going to come. It's common to humanity. I mean, seasons come and go. Storms come and go as well, right? We think that when we receive Jesus, storms aren't going to come anymore. <laughs> really. Sometimes the storm intensifies. <laughs> Whoa, Lord, what's going on? We're going to start here in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. In uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. I never realized that. There's other people following in other boats. 
Verse 37, a furious squall came up and waves broke over the boat. So it was nearly swamped. It's filling up with water. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And verse 41 says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Guys, they still didn't get it. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in this story, they're, they're out on the sea. They're out on the, it actually, actually, I don't know if you guys know, the Sea of Galilee is actually not a sea. It's just a, it's a big lake, Lake Gennesaret. And it's actually never referred to by the Jews as, as a sea. They're out on the lake, and, uh, and Jesus falls asleep in a boat. And this storm comes up, it breaks loose, and it's so severe that it looks like that it's going to fill and it's going to capsize. And meanwhile, Jesus is asleep. Don't you love it? How many of you have ever been in a storm? How many of you have ever been in a storm on a boat? Anybody ever been in a storm on a boat? You ever been on a cruise? I'm thinking, some of you know, a couple years ago, (laughs) the Canada trip, (laughs) men's trip a couple years ago. Uh, About four years ago, Sean and I were celebrating our 20th. Somebody, a couple in the church actually blessed us, said, hey, you would enjoy this, and and sent us on a Mediterranean cruise. And we got to see Corinth and Ephesus and all this stuff. And we're on this, we're coming one of the last nights up the coast of uh, Italy. And, but our, we were on the other side of the boat, so we were looking out to sea, right? And I wake up in the middle of the night, and I, I sleep on my side. We got any side sleepers here? Yeah. I'm, I sleep on my side. Well, I woke up on my face, and I was like, what in the world happened? And I tried to get back on my side, and I couldn't. I kept, and I, I finally tried to stand up, and that boat was moving, man. I mean, it, it, it was that, it's a huge ship. It's a celebrity, one of their biggest ships, and has stabilizers, so it, you know, doesn't rock much. It was rocking, and I was like, what in the world? And I opened the sliding glass door, and I look out, and it was just a light from the boat lighting up the water, and it was like you see in the movies, the way it looks like they're in slow motion, the waves, and I look down, and the waves are coming way up the side of the ship, and I was like, oh, my Lord, and, and I had to pray and go back to sleep, but, uh, but, but it's scary. Can you, I mean, uh, being out at sea in a boat, I can only imagine what that'd be, or how many of you have ever been on a plane in a storm? Ever done that before? I've, I've experienced a lot of turbulence, but there was a flight I was on a couple of years ago. I was for work. I was on the way to Denver, and that plane was shaking, man. I mean, it, it was shaking hard, and, and wouldn't have bothered me too much, but I mean, if I didn't have my seatbelt on, I'd have been knocked out of my seat. I think that was the same flight where one of the overhead bins not getting, was knocked open in the middle of the turbulence and all this, and I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I got it. I mean, I just death grip on my seat, and, um, and then the power went out. The lights all flickered and everything went out and the engine stopped and it went silent. And then I feel my weight shift from my back to my seatbelt and we started dropping fast. Jesus, what is happening? And, and literally, it was probably only about 10 seconds. It felt like an eternity. Uh, but after about 10 seconds, the lights flickered and came back on, and you hear the engines coming back, whirring back up, and, and all of a sudden, we take off. We're pushed back in our seats again. I'm like, oh, my, lightning striking outside the windows. And it's like, it's, things, it's the stuff that nightmares are made of. <laughs> you imagine storms can be pretty scary sometimes. In the story, the disciples wake up Jesus and accuse him of not caring. Isn't that interesting? What do they say to him? Um, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
you know, in the past I had always, I don't know, I just kind of skipped over that and always thought they were trying to wake him up so he'd rebuke the storm. But no, they didn't expect him to rebuke the storm. They were terrified when he did that. I think they were trying to get him to bail out water. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I think they all got buckets and they're, they're, they're getting water out of the boat as fast as they can. I think they were trying to get him up to help. And he just looks up and says, quiet, be still. And it stops. That would have been an awesome moment. I mean, just, just, just saying, one of, those, one of those cool moments. Um, and then we know he turns to the disciples and he issues that challenge. And he says, why are you so afraid? You know, don't, don't you have any faith? And, you know, I think up till now, I believe the disciples had been getting this. They, they, they believed, they were starting to get this understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, but suddenly the revelation hits them. Oh, wow. I mean, seriously, really, this is, this, this is him. And, you know, they, they realized that when the winds and the waves obeyed him. And, and you know, I, I was thinking that many of us are probably experiencing storms in our life. Or we have, at least, recently. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what the storm in your life is. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe you've gotten a bad report from the doctor and you find fear trying to grip you. Or maybe you are depending on an upcoming promotion that you knew you were going to get and you didn't. Or maybe in the midst of this whole thing this year, maybe you, your job has been very uncertain and, uh, and it's been kind of a scary situation. Or maybe you're financially strapped and your bills are piling up and you don't know what you're going to do. Or maybe you're having family issues and, and maybe, maybe you and your spouse are, are having, some, having some issues or your kids are making bad decisions or you feel like your family's... Whatever your storm may be, we, 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 all, face, we all face storms. And, and I was thinking we can relate this in the same way. What we do, we're finding ourselves in the boat like the disciples and a storm has simply arisen in our lives. And, I, I, you know, when a storm arises, what really happens? What happens when fear begins to grip us is that we have come to this place where everything that has made us comfortable, everything that we have put our trust in that has made us feel safe and secure is now uncertain. Right? It doesn't seem quite as reliable as it always did before. And so it's an open door. If we allow it, fear will begin to enter in those situations. And as believers, we got to remind ourselves of who is in our boat. When we asked Jesus to be Lord of our life, we were asking him to become the captain. It's his boat now. If Jesus is in the boat, we don't have to fear the storm. Do we believe his word? Do we believe that he is who he says he is? The more we put our trust in him, the more we get his word within us, the less impact fear will have, the less influence it will have when storms arise. Let me give you one more scripture before I go into number two. Uh, one more passage from Matthew chapter 14. And this is just a, another similar one, Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And you know, that would have been an unusual day. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. What is their first response? It's a ghost. They're still not getting it. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then good old Peter speaks up. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you on the water. What's Jesus going to say? Nah. He says, come. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came to, toward Jesus. Once again, the waters are super choppy because of the strong winds. The, the sun is coming up, it says, about to break over the horizon. They see this figure walking toward them. Their first guess is that it's a ghost. Jesus calls out to them and tells them not to be afraid. You, you ever realize how many times that statement is said in Scripture? Do not be afraid. Every, every time an angel appears or God, you know, it always says, do not be afraid. Why is that? I think it's because as human beings, we tend to live our lives out of fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of the uncertain. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And he says, come. So Peter, what does he do? It says that he steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus and not on the waves, he's good, right? Which brings me to number two. Second point, number two. To walk on the water, you must first exit the boat. To walk on the water, you must first exit the boat. Now, how many would agree that when you're out at sea, you're putting a lot of trust in that boat? None of us want to get caught without the boat out at sea. I mean, there's been a couple of stories, there's a couple of movies I think made about scuba divers who went off a boat and they didn't do a correct count and the boat left and they were left out to sea. There's been a few that have, I couldn't imagine. Can you imagine being left out at sea, popping up out of the water and the boat's gone? <laughs> Can't see land. Lord have mercy. Scary. None of us want to be out at sea without the boat. But let me say this too. As believers, I think many times we play it too safe. We hold on desperately. We want our comfortable surroundings, and we want all those things that we've put our trust in for so long. And so we get white-knuckled holding on to those things, and we won't let go and step out of the boat when he calls us. And the reality is this, God has more in store for you and I than that, than the safety of those, those things that we put our trust in. For some of us, you may know exactly what God's called you to do, but you haven't had the courage and the faith to step out of your comfortable surroundings and do what it is that God's called you to do. You may even shrink back. You may even cringe at the thought of taking a risk associated with stepping out in faith. Guys, God's not going to be able to use you. We come to the point we have to step out. But it's only when we're willing to step out that God can use us. Um, so I, I don't know, again, what that means for you, what, what it looks like for you to step out of the boat. It may be that maybe you've, maybe you've worked way too long, too many hours, spending beyond your means, and maybe you need to Maybe you need to downsize and cut expenses because you've been working too hard for something that you weren't meant to have, you weren't meant to do. For some of you, maybe it's leaving a job, getting a new job and leaving that job that's been sucking you dry and burning you out for so long. For some of you, maybe the Lord has called you to start your own business. But that's a scary, scary prospect when you've had this safe and secure job with your vacation and your health insurance and your 401k to step out away from that and do your own thing. For others, it might be taking a risk and, and saying yes to marriage and, commit, and committing and settling down. 
On the other hand, it might be having the courage to dump that person that you've been dating that, that, uh, that, that doesn't line up with your godly standards. What does it look like for you to step out of the boat? It might be for just, just for you, just learning to accept who God created you to be and what he called you to do, getting out there and just simply doing it. But there comes a point where we've got to step out of the boat. We've got to refuse to let anything hold us back from what God has called us to. And so the first step is to make the decision, but the next, boat is, the next step is to actually step out, to leave our comfortable surroundings and all the things that we have found security in for so long. Also in Matthew 14, we see, as I mentioned last week, the execution of John the Baptist. Guys, that wasn't a pretty picture. They cut off his head and put it on a platter, right? Verse 12 tells us that once that happened, that John's disciples, his followers, they went and they went and collected the body of John the Baptist and they buried him. And it says, then they went to tell Jesus all that had happened. And so if you look at that, before we go to the next point, in Matthew chapter 14, in verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, so John's disciples came and told Jesus what was going on. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Other versions say he immediately left. He, he was ministering to a crowd right there. He hears what happens, and he immediately leaves. Now, we talked about in the last couple of weeks how Jesus was fully God, right? He was living out the upper story as well as being fully man. How many of you know that Jesus had a lower story as well? Just like we do. The things that we see, the things we experience. In the lower story perspective of Jesus, his cousin was just executed. How do you know? That would be a tough day. So it's obvious from Scripture that this moment had an effect on Jesus. Uh, because we see that he immediately leaves the crowds. He gets in a boat by himself and pushes out to sea. And um, now, as I said, the Sea of Galilee is, is actually, they call it in Israel, called Lake Gennesaret. And it's, it's a very big lake. But if you get up on the hillside, you can see all the way around. It's just, it's just really large. So what we know happened here is Jesus, as he pushes out in this boat by himself, if you read, it says the crowds followed him. So they kept an eye on him from the shore. And they followed along. Some of them might have even tried to follow in boats. But they kept on following him. So they're following him around. And he finally gets to shore. And the crowds are already there. They're there to greet him. And so the Bible tells us that he had compassion on him. That he heals the sick. Uh, even in this, what appears to be a time that he needs to be alone. He has compassion on the people. And, uh, and we know it was that very evening that the disciples came to Jesus. As he's healing the sick and stuff, the disciples came to him and said, hey, we need to send the crowds on home. They're hungry. And what does Jesus say? He says, well, feed them. Right? Feed them. So Jesus instructs them to feed the crowd. Guys, this is the same day. You see this? Just hears about his cousin being executed. Tries to get away by himself. He's followed by the people. He has compassion on them. He heals the sick. Now they're hungry. He tells disciples to feed them. He tells us there was 5,000 men. If each of those men had a wife and just one baby, there was at least 15,000 people there. And we know that I think it was Andrew that spoke up and said, it would take half a year's wages to give each person one bite of food. What do you expect us to do? And he says... 
you know, uh, actually it was Andrew who said, well, there's this one boy that's got five loaves of bread and two fish, but how far will that go? And we know that Jesus told them to all be seated. He takes the bread and the fish. He gives thanks for it. They start passing out the food. And we know that everybody was full and there were leftovers, which brings us to number three, the third point I want to make today. Number three, what you give to Jesus is multiplied in his hands. What you give to Jesus is multiplied in his hands. Guys, in the lower story, in your lower story perspective, it may seem like what you have in your hands is very small and very insignificant. You may, we've probably all been there sometimes where we feel like we have nothing to offer to God. But I got to thinking about this young boy on the hillside that day. And if you look at John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, it says, Philip answered him and said, oh, I just mentioned this, it would take more than half a day's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's son, spoke up and says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Now, how many of you know that there is a principle? No, let's say there is a law in the earth called sowing and reaping. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Most people in the earth have this understanding that you reap what you sow. Uh, people who, who are not believers may, in the world today may call this something like karma, right? Uh, but it is a law in the earth today. Here's the thing. When you sow into God's kingdom, you always reap more than you sowed. The reality is that what we hold on to so dearly and won't let go of, that's all we have. But if we'll let go of it and put it in the hands of Jesus, God can multiply it indefinitely. So can you imagine this young boy that day, like I said earlier, he was probably just be glad to be part of the crowd, just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe he'll do a miracle. This little boy's in the crowd. He's got his lunch with him, right? He's got a little brown bag. There's food in it. Suddenly, he is front and center. And he is placing all that he's got in his hands in the hands of Jesus. And some would say, well, you know, you're talking about money here. Guys, obviously it applies to money, but certainly that is just a small aspect of this. It could be your resources. It could be your talents. It could be serving. Whatever we give to Jesus, let me, let me take it a step further. Whatever we do is unto the Lord. We are putting in his hands. And he can multiply that and do things, the effects of which we can't begin to imagine. What are we willing to put in the hands of Jesus? This is why we've got to make sure that everything that we do, we do as a worship and we do as unto the Lord. That means that your work, when you go to work, you work as he is your boss, not that guy sitting in the office that you don't care for a whole lot. He's your boss. So you're going to do it to the best of your ability. You're going to give it your everything. It's your worship. You're putting it in his hands. All that you are, your energy, your effort your service, your talents. You're putting it in his hands. And then he can use it. So whatever you 
Whatever you have may seem insignificant in your eyes, but if you place it in the hands of Jesus, it'll be multiplied and used beyond imagine. After Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, we know that he was physically and emotionally exhausted, uh, I imagine, from all the demands that had been put on him. Uh, besides that, it, it looks like he probably still needs to get away and kind of process the death of his cousin. And so we know if you, uh, there in verse 21, 22, Jesus tells his disciples to go on ahead of him. They get in a boat. He says, y'all go on ahead. And then in verse, uh, Matthew 14, verse 23, it says, After he had dismissed them, this is Jesus dispersing the crowd they had just fed. After he dismissed them, his disciples are gone, he went up on a, on a mountainside by himself to pray. Guys, Jesus is modeling a very important principle here for us that most of us don't begin to, begin to observe today. And that's number four, we have to get away to avoid burnout. We have to get away to avoid burnout. And there's probably some of us here today that really need to hear that um, because um, we all know what it's like to live life going 90 to nothing, nonstop, uh, until we, we, we're just exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, and we have nothing else left to give. And Jesus not only did this here, if you know the Gospels, he does it all the way through. And you see this was not just a... a, a one-time incident. This is a pattern. This is a lifestyle that Jesus lived. Regularly, Jesus would get away by himself, and he would spend time with the Father. And guys, if Jesus felt the need to do it, how much more should we feel the need to do so? And I'm going to just give you a few examples. Actually, I actually used my Bible software, and I looked up every example of Jesus getting away in Scripture, and I filled like four pages. I was like, okay, let's cut that back a little bit. Uh, let me just show you a number of them here real quick. In Matthew 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke uh, 5, 15, 16 says, and this despite Jesus' plea, he was say, saying, keep this miracle quiet. It says, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. In Mark 2, 13, it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. You'll see this over and over again in Matthew 13, 1. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Those of you who went with us to Israel last year, we went to Capernaum, which was Jesus' home base during his ministry. And we saw the place where he lived in the synagogue right next to it, and the lake was right next to that. And he, so when you see, he left the house and he went to go walk by the lake. Sounds like my kind of thing. Mark 3, 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed them. Uh, a few more, Luke uh, 6, 12, and 13, when Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him. Matthew 14, 13 says, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. A couple others. Um, Sometimes he got away with his disciples. In Luke 6, 31, it says, Because so many people were coming and going that day, they didn't even have a chance to eat. And Jesus said to his disciples, Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Um, 
In Luke 9, 18, it says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? We see that Jesus is in private. They're off by themselves, him, him with his disciples. Um, and then last one, Luke 15, 29, Jesus went on from there, walked by the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on a mountain, and he sat down there. How many of you would say that in recent months or even recent years that you have been guilty of, as they would say, burning the candle at both ends at times? You may be faced with a major decision in life. Some of you may have just come through a, maybe a serious event and, and something that's happened. But as Christians, the Bible is very clear Jesus is very clear, and we see it through his example, that we must get alone. We must get away with God. We've got to come into alignment with him. We've got to get ourselves anchored. We've got to get ourselves recharged and refreshed. We've got to pray and align ourselves with him. And, and I think this is no, so necessary today. Spending time with the Lord away from all the noise and all the voices and all the commotion of life will charge your, recharge your life like nothing else possibly could. Getting away from time to time, I think, has always been a human necessity, but I, I would argue that, that uh, it's more necessary today than it's ever been in history. Because life today is loud, and it's crazy, and there's commotion, and there's noise, and there's voices, and there's influences that are pulling us left and right, and sometimes the very best thing we can do is to get away from it all. Get away and get with the Lord. And here's the funny thing I was thinking about in that. Many of us have gotten to a point in our life where we can't stand the silence. We can't stand it. I, 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 I won't ask you to, to raise your hand if that's you, but I, I know that a lot of people, silence is just drives them stir crazy. They got to turn on the TV or they got to turn on the radio or they got to grab a phone or they got to do something. Can't sit in the quiet, and in silence. That's a shame. Guys, we need the silence. I have to have silence in order to hear sometimes. All the noises, all the voices are so loud. Sometimes you just got to get away from it to the silence and say, Lord, what are you saying today? We need to spend more time in prayer. We need to spend time meditating on God's word. We need time in silence to relax, to reflect, to listen, and to recharge. People say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just too busy. I don't have the time. Then schedule it. Put it on your busy schedule. And turn your phone off. How many of you have ever tried having your quiet time with your phone on? Give me a break. <laughs> All the time getting a notification of something. Throw the thing out the window. Well, I use the Bible app. Get a paper one. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Come on. I just can't afford to. You can't afford not to. You've got to get away. You've got to get recharged and refreshed. We've got to follow the example of Jesus. The points for today, when you're in Jesus' boat, there's no need to fear storms. To walk on the water, you have to exit the boat. What you give to Jesus is multiplied in his hands, and we must get away to avoid burnout. Guys, Obviously, Jesus came to die for our sins, but he also came to give us an example of how to live this life, 
how to live this life and prosper and fulfill God's plan and purpose for our life. So we have got to begin to saturate ourselves with the teachings of Jesus. We have got to understand his way of life and his example and the way that he lived. Because only through that will we find excess too. As we follow his example, we too will find ourselves walking on water when storms arise, as they will in this life. Amen? Let's stand up on our feet together. I invite the worship team up as we begin to, as we begin to close out the service this morning. Let's just, let's just bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the life, the teachings, the example of Jesus. We thank you that he was fully God, yet he was fully man. And so he understands, and we have an advocate. We don't have to ever believe that we're walking this life alone. I just come against that thought that we can tend to have sometimes, Lord, that you are, you are so big and you're so far up there and you're so far. No, you're right here. And you understand exactly what we're walking through. You understand our feelings and our emotions. You understand our, 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 our exhaustion. But Lord, you showed us a better way. And so we reject selfishness and we reject arrogance and those things that we tend to try to live out of as human beings. And we say, Jesus, we choose your way. We're going to follow your teachings. We're going to follow your example. You are the way of life. If you're here today and you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, I'm talking about surrender, guys. I'm saying if you're here and you have not repented of your sin and you have not made Jesus the Lord, the captain of your boat, like I was talking about, if he's not the one leading and guiding the way, if he's not the one with you, then you need to surrender your life to him today. And this is your moment. Jesus came and he paid the penalty for your sin. So that, that relationship between you and the Father could be restored and you could live it out the way he intended. If you have not surrendered your life to him, we're going to pray a prayer together in just a moment. The Bible says if you mean it with all your heart, if you truly repent and turn from your sin, you truly make the decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, all things will become new. You'll become a new creation. The old things that will pass away, all things will become new. As I always say, it doesn't mean the storms are going to go away. There's still going to be storms that are going to rise up. But you can rest assured that you're in Jesus' boat and you don't have a thing to fear. But the first thing you've got to do is make him captain, make him Lord. So if that's you today, I just invite you to pray a prayer with us. And just pray something like this. Just say, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Without him, I am lost and alone. I've tried living this life out of my own strength 
and my own knowledge and my own arrogance. And I'm a failure without you. So today, I repent of my sin. I turn from it. And I I lay it at your feet along with my shame and my guilt and all those things that I've carried so long. I thank you that you willingly went to that cross and you took all that junk so that I wouldn't have to. I got what you deserved, but you took what I deserved. And I thank you for that. So today, Jesus, I declare you are Lord of my life and I will not follow another. Be the captain of this boat. Take me where you want me to go. Use me how you want to use me. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to be everything that you've created me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that, you meant it. I'm going to ask you. We're going to put up the link again for our connection card. Even if you've already filled it out, I'm going to ask you to do it again here in just a moment. And there's a place on there where you can mark, I gave my life to Christ, or I rededicated my life, or I want to get water baptized. Please mark that on there. We want to reach out to you. We want to give you some direction. It is an awesome day for you. This is the pivotal moment of your life if you just gave your life to Jesus. So please take advantage of that. And guys, we're going to end with one more worship song. But I want you to meditate on these points for just a moment. Because what a crazy time we are living in. If there's ever been a time in the world where it's easy to allow fear to grip you, man, it's today. The good news is for us as followers of Jesus, there's no reason for it. There's no reason. Guys, you have Jesus in the boat with you. And so it doesn't matter how bad that storm gets. It doesn't matter how much water you start seeing in the bottom of that boat. You have nothing to fear. Understand that in what God has called you to do in this life, you're going to have to step out of the boat, out of your uncomfortable, out of your comfortable surroundings. Out of all those things that you've put your trust and your faith in for so long. We tend to play it safe. But there comes a point where God calls us, when, he, when God really calls us to do something, it's going to seem scary in the natural. Because we're going to have to put our faith and our trust in him. Because he's going to be the only one that can truly do it. Remember that what we give to him is multiplied in his hands. And lastly, like I say, huge today. To avoid burnout, we've got to get away. We've got to spend time with him. We've got to pray. We've got to meditate on his word. The answers to everything we're walking through in this life in 2020. Guys, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. How many of you want to live a triumphant life? It's found in Jesus.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.